All right, thank you for being here. Excited to be in God's Word tonight, and we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Last week, we spoke about David's sin with Bathsheba, a very familiar story, a story we've heard so many times. And this week, we're going to talk about the fact that David needed somebody in his life to confront him. He needed somebody in his life to point out his sin. I don't think it's because David hadn't already realized he had sinned. I think it's that David had gotten to a place where he was comfortable and he thought he could just sweep it underneath the rug and nobody would ever find out about it and it was going to be okay because he was the king. And he needed somebody to look him in the eyes and to confront him. And I've been praying all week as I've been reading and just reading the word and praying, Lord, raise up some Nathans. Raise up some Nathans all across the country. Raise up some Nathans here in this church. And this was a prayer that the Lord said, this is something the Lord said to me on Friday as I was praying this. He said, Derek, you need a Nathan in your life. So I'm asking the Lord to raise up some Nathans. Somebody that would be bold enough to look me in the eyes and say, you need to work on this. You need to repent of this. You need to confess of this. You said, boy, you're being kind of transparent. Well, if we can't be transparent here, men, we can't be transparent anywhere. Because nobody in the world is talking like this. And most of us are not comfortable going home and talking to our wives about this. And so we need to be able to talk to one another about it. And so I'm praying that God will raise up some men that will look other men in the eyes and call sin, sin. Not a mistake. Nathan did not come to David and let him down easy. He did not come to David and talk about David's little mistake or even his big mistake. Sin is not a mistake. It's deliberate disobedience against a holy God. And that's exactly what David had done. And thank goodness, Nathan had the boldness to confront David. So we're going to talk about that tonight. So let's pray. We'll jump into the text. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you love us. And Lord, I thank you for this story. I thank you for Nathan. I thank you for his boldness. I thank you that Nathan did not waver. I thank you that Nathan did not stand by and hope that somebody else accomplished what you called him to do. And so, God, I pray for us men in this room that we will not stand by and expect somebody else to do the job you've called us to do. And, Lord, I pray even in this room you'll raise up men. Lord, you'll raise us up, that we'll go to people in love and kindness and gentleness, but, Lord, we'll go to them with boldness and we'll speak truth. And so, Lord, tonight I pray if there's any one of us in this room that have a hidden sin, have something that we have been protecting, that we've been babying, that we have felt enabled to continue on in, Lord, that you would give us a way of escape, that you would raise men up around us to help us with that, and Lord, that you would set us free from those things. And so, Lord, tonight I pray for 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, Lord, that you would speak directly to our hearts. We love you. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Well, we're going to be right here in 2 Samuel chapter 12, and let's just begin in verse 1. It's so, it says, so the Lord sent Nathan to David. Now, we got to stop right there because there's something very specific. When we talk about the idea of confrontation, specifically with the idea of calling out sin in somebody else's life, let me just be very clear. You do not need to go to anybody and confront them on the sin that is in their life unless the Lord is leading you to do so. The Bible says right here, so the Lord sent Nathan to David. Number one tonight, with confrontation, Nathan was led by the Lord. I believe that God has called you and I as men of God to confront sin in one another's lives. Now, there's a few things that are going to have to happen. We're going to have to let some guards down. And we're going to have to actually build relationship enough so that we can each see into each other's lives. And as that relationship gets built and we're given permission to speak into that person's life, we still need to make sure that we don't confront anybody on anything unless we're led by the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm guilty of sometimes thinking this is of the Lord, but it is strictly from my flesh. And you know, when I was reading last year in that book that we talked through last year of R.T. Kendall's book, Total Forgiveness. He talked about in there how to pray for people when you actually forgive them. And he said, Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. 
And R.T. Kendall said in that book, you have not actually forgiven somebody until you're actually praying that God would bless them. Well, I, I have news for you. I prayed up until I read that book for people that had wronged me, but I typically prayed for what? Conviction. I prayed, Lord, you deal with them. Lord, deal with them and make them realize what they did was wrong. And that's not how Christ called us to pray. He called us to pray that God would bless them. R.T. Kendall said in that book, until you pray for God's blessing on somebody that has wronged you, you have not fully forgiven them. And that is a leading by the Lord because you and I don't have a desire to completely forgive somebody like that. And Nathan is in a situation here where, yes, he's a prophet of God. He speaks on behalf of God. He is a man that God has raised up. And when God says, go and say, thus saith the Lord, Nathan went and said, thus saith the Lord. Aren't you thankful for men like that? But it's very specific here. The writer says, Nathan was led by the Lord. So I want to ask you a question, not just in regard to confrontation, but just generally in our lives, how do you know if you're being led by the Lord? How do you know if it's the Lord? How do you know that it's not your own understanding? How do you know that it's not from your own experiences? How do you know that it's not from your own ideas? How do you know that it's not from your own education? How do you actually know that you're being led by the Lord? How did Nathan know specifically right here? It doesn't give us a lot of context into that in this portion of Scripture, but it says that the Lord led Nathan to do this. So for you and I, whether it be confronting somebody, whether it be about buying a new house, whether it be about purchasing a new car, whether it be about taking a new job, whether it be about disciplining your children, how do you know that you're being led by the Lord? I want us to take a few minutes around the table, and I want you to answer the question, how do you know the Lord is leading you to do something and it's not your own idea? Let's take five or six minutes to talk about it around the table. Ready, set, go. All right, guys, what'd you come up with at your table? Throw something out. How do you know if you're actually being led by the Lord? We've, we've lost the table. All right, somebody, somebody throw it out while these gentlemen figure it out. Okay, God's word. We go to God's word for answers. Good. What else? Your first reaction is no. It doesn't necessarily line up with where you were headed. Right. A lot of times it contradicts our will. That's why we don't like to pray about God, your will be done. We like to pray about our will be done. What else? It usually costs you something. We don't like to talk about that too much, but yes. I mean, you think about the cost it could have cost Nathan. David could have put him to death right there. Circumstances. Woo, woo, now we're talking. He said he thinks Nathan's heart was close to the Lord, so he knew when the Lord was speaking. How many of you have been walking with the Lord really close? And, and you know, I don't know if you know this, but there's different seasons. Sometimes you walk with the Lord and you just feel so close to him that you almost, it's like you almost hear his heartbeat. And other times it's like, Lord, I'm, I'm waiting, I'm, I'm listening, I'm searching, but I'm not hearing anything. It's like you're silent. I get a chance right behind the cameras on Sunday morning to pray over people. And I, I had a young girl come to me this past Sunday, and, and she said, I've been praying for something for six months. She said, I feel like the Lord's silent. What do I do? So we talked about seasons, and we prayed, and gave her some scripture to go and read. So there's different seasons. But yes, he was walking with the Lord. And those prophets, they had to walk with the Lord because they were going to be speaking on his behalf for sure. What else? Let's go a couple more. Mr. Ron. Right, he did. That's right. Right, it's not like he charged at him in your face. He, he, he spoke in par a parable, exactly like Jesus did, and he let that gentleman come to his conclusion. Yes, sir. Whoo, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if anybody else's wife can play the Holy Spirit in here, but mine can. And I think I'm going to tell you, just like Brother Steve says, if I want my wife to know that, I'll tell her, okay? You do not have to, all right? I think there's a lot of things. I jotted a few things down uh, in my office, but then just now while you guys were discussing, I, I jotted a few things down, and, and one of the things that I wrote down was cost. It, it typically will cost something. 
I put a still small voice, you know, scripture talks about hearing from him in a still small voice, but I think one of the issues that we struggle with as men today is we are living such fast-paced lives and the world is right here in our face and everything's going on around us that we rarely get in a place where we're still and quiet enough to actually hear from the Lord. And that's why you hear people talk about getting up early and spending time with the Father. It's exactly what Jesus did in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. The Bible tells us there that Jesus got up before the sun rose and it said he left the house and got in a secluded place and he prayed. Can I just make a statement? If Jesus needed to pray before his day began, I think you and I should probably start there. And so I agree 100% with Mr. Verge. He was walking with the Lord. And when you're walking with the Lord, you're more apt to hear him when he speaks, I, I did put unity with your spouse. Uh, that, that, that's another good way. And then I put affirmation from others. I was praying about something about a year ago, year and a half ago, I guess, and I, something was really on my heart. I'd really been praying about this specific thing. I hadn't shared it with anybody, even my wife. I was walking through the East Lobby right underneath the playground about four weeks after I had began praying for something. And I bumped into a guy that I hadn't seen in almost six months here at Bellevue. It's a big building. Sometimes you don't cross each other's paths all the time unless you're in the same life group. And so we bumped into each other. We started talking. And he said, hey, I want to share with you what the Lord's been talking to me about. I said, okay. And so he spoke directly and specifically to the exact thing I had been praying about. And I believe the Lord spoke directly through him. He didn't have to take the time to share it with me, but he did. He opened up his Bible and he said, this is what God's showing me. And it was exactly what I needed at that time. So I think the Lord will use other people. But here's the other two things for me that are really big. Peace in the middle of that decision. I didn't say it's easy. But peace comes with following the Lord. Now, I am sure that there could have easily been some fear in Nathan by approaching David, the king, who, by the way, Nathan already knew what had happened. Why? Because God had already told Nathan. Nathan had the knowledge that David had already had Bathsheba's husband put to death because he didn't want him to find anything out. And now Nathan's going to have the boldness to go before David and confront him on the very thing he's had somebody put to death with not very long ago. But he can have peace in the middle of that decision. And then here's the other one for me, and it's really difficult to describe to somebody that doesn't have a relationship with the Lord. But I was doing a funeral a few weeks back, and I was sitting on the front row talking to a gentleman that I thought knew the Lord. And the more that we got into our conversation, I realized he didn't know the Lord at all. He had no relationship with the Lord, and so he had just lost his grandfather. And as I'm doing, right before I'm doing the funeral, I'm talking to him, and I'm talking to him about how thankful I am that even in the middle of something like that, that he and I can have joy. And I described to him, to the best of my ability, what joy is, and that that can only come from the Lord because I know where his grandfather is, and I know that one day, one day, I'm going to worship the Lord beside him. And he said, I don't have that. And I think one of the other things is how you know that you're being led by the Lord is it's not explainable. It doesn't necessarily make sense, but you have peace and joy through it. And here's one other re way that I believe I have often known that I'm being led by the Lord. Oftentimes, when I feel like the Lord's impressing something upon me, he reminds me of his faithfulness in the past. And so maybe about two years ago, I'm making a decision. It's a big decision. I, I just don't know which way to go, and I'm alone with the Lord, and I've told you all this before, but I go, like to go back behind the lake back here at Bellevue, back behind the big lake, and there's some chairs back there, and I'm sitting there with the Lord, and I'm reading, and I'm praying, and I just feel like I need to make this decision, but I'm still a little, I'm a little concerned about what the outcome can be, and the Lord reminded me of three very specific things in the past one when I was a child, how I had seen God's faithfulness. One when I was in college, how I had seen God's faithfulness. And one how when my oldest son was really small, how I had seen God's faithfulness. And it was as if the Lord said, I was faithful then and I will be faithful again. You just need to listen to me. And so I think the Lord gives peace and joy. And so Nathan is being led by the Lord. Let's look at verse, beginning in verse 1 here. Let's go back to verse 1. 
It says, so the Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he arrived, he said to him. Now, I think this is very important. I don't want us to skip over it, because in today's culture, with social media, texting, and all the different platforms we have, we have found that people think they can confront all kinds of things, but they can do it on different platforms where nobody's in their face. Nathan did not send a messenger to David, and this was very common in this time. Remember, David was sending messages to his warriors out on the battlefield, instructing them what to do with Bathsheba's husband. So it was very common that the king and people would send messages back and forth because travel was a little more difficult at this time. But he didn't do that. The second thing I do want you to see today is that Nathan spoke face to face to David. If you're being led by the Lord, you can have that peace and boldness that you can do it face to face. Now, I know that you've heard studies done when they talk about communication, and you hear it often when it's talked about in the context of marriage between a husband and wife. And it says something, you, you've, you've read the statistics, between 75% and 90% of communication is not verbal. Have you ever heard those statistics? And a lot of it has to do with tone. A lot of it has to do with posture. A lot of it has to do with facial expressions. For instance, my daughter this past week was asked to do something, and she went, okay, and she did it. But her heart was so full of really bitterness towards me that I had asked her to brush her teeth and take a shower that we had to stop and have a little chit-chat about it. And the Lord reminded me that oftentimes that's me. You see, she did what was asked, but she communicated something totally different. And so communication is not just verbal. Well, I read a study, a, a newer study, that came out during COVID from Harvard University. The study was fascinating. The study talked about the different percentages, and it said only 7% of communication is actually verbal. Now, hold on just a second. If only 7% of communication is verbal, that means 93% of communication is nonverbal. Now we understand why people get in so much trouble through text message, through emails, through social media, and the like. Because you're only communicating, you're only communicating 7% of what you're actually saying. Because all you're doing is putting the words out there. You're not putting your posture out there. You're not putting tone out there. You're not putting facial expressions out there. You're just placing the words out there. Nathan knew that this was a serious matter. He was being led by the Lord, and he goes to David, and he goes to him face to face. It says, when he arrived, he said to him. Now, I love this. Nathan begins with a parable. He doesn't just jump in and say, you're the man. Now, let's just stop for just a moment and play the devil's advocate here. What do you think would have happened if, David would, if Nathan would have walked in, kind of strutted in, chest stuck out a little bit, looked David in the face and said, you are the man. You need to repent. How do you think David would have responded? He probably would have defended himself. What else? Guards. Yeah, yeah, he'd have called for the guards. He'd have called for his head. Absolutely. Why? Because that's, that's a complete different approach. Nathan's being led by the Lord. And let me just say this. When you're being led by the Lord, your posture better be in humility. You better have a humble posture because here's the reality. God does not need us. God chooses to use us. And so what do we have to be proud about? Because he could take care of that just like that. And so what he does here is he humbles himself. Now, I believe Nathan humbles himself in two ways. First of all, he humbles himself before the Lord because it says that the Lord led him to go speak to David. So he humbled himself underneath the leadership of God the Father, but then he humbles himself under David, and he comes to him in a posture of humility. It says, when he arrived, he said to him, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very large flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one small ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised her. And she grew up with him and with his children. From his meager food, she would eat. From his cup, she would drink. And his arms, she would sleep. She was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, 
But the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guest. Let's stop right there. You hear this parable. When you hear this parable, we know what David's response is. It's anger. Now, how does David not immediately know Nathan is talking about him? I want you to think about it for a minute. How does David not immediately know within this story? Well, he is using a third party, but, what, but, but how is the conviction of the Holy Spirit not come upon David in this situation? How is he not convicted immediately in this place? He is trying to hide it. He's not. And part of that comes with power. He had power, and he didn't think he had to be accountable to anybody. I was talking with a guy a couple months ago. He doesn't go to church here. He had visited on a Sunday morning, and we met on the way out of church. We actually met outside the doors over in the West Lobby. By the way, have you all ever noticed I'm directionally challenged? I never point in the right direction. I think the West Lobby's over there. Is that right? Okay, I was in my office a couple weeks ago, and somebody said, now, how do I get to the worship center? I said, now, listen, I'm going to have to walk out of my office to get my bearings so I can tell you where the worship center is, okay? So I use GPS for everything. So just, if I point, just say, okay, amen, all right? So, so I meet this guy right outside. We're right outside the West Lobby. We begin a conversation, and, and I'm talking to him. He's traveling through and all this stuff, and he began sharing really some very fascinating things, and he shared with me that he had recently been divorced, and, and so he just automatically just starts I've not said a word. I'm just listening to him. I've just met the guy. And he begins defending why he got a divorce. And in the course of over the next three minutes, as he just shared and just kind of dumped all of this information out, it was very clear that this man was a very high authority figure in the workplace. He was very high up in, the, in a corporation that he worked in, but he would take that power home with him, and he expected everybody to get in line with how he demanded that they live their lives. And as I listened to him, I thought to myself, this is in three minutes, I thought to myself, I couldn't live with you, there's no chance. That's what I'm thinking in my mind. And then he said this, he said, you know, when she left me, I thought, it's probably for the best. She wasn't doing what I needed her to do anyways. And see, this is where David has found himself. He is in a place of power. He doesn't think he's accountable to anybody, but I don't know if you realize this. God knows everything. God sees everything, and God will hold us accountable either today, tomorrow, the next day, or many years to come. And David was going to be dealt with. And so here's what I want you to see in regards to Nathan and how Nathan confronts David. He confronts him in a way and in a posture of humility and in an attitude of love. Now, I think this is important. There's a church that's very well known in the United States. It's a Baptist church, and I'm not going to give the church's name, but some of you may have seen them in different situations where they make big signs and they'll stand and boycott stuff on corners and they yell some of the rudest ugliest things against other people. The church is not very big, and it's very well known across the country. It's in Missouri. And it has been said of this church that the way they handle themselves is with hatred in their heart. Now, I want you to stop and think about it. Could that be possibly the most opposite thing you've ever heard of what should be said about a church? Could that be one of the most opposite things that you've ever heard somebody say about somebody that claims to be a believer? Why? Because God says he is love. Not that he has love. Not that he will give love. He is love. And he loved us so much that he came to earth and died on the cross for us and offers us a gift that we don't deserve. But that's how much he loves us. And what happens is when he saves us, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that old things have passed away and behold, new things have come and he creates in us, and we'll talk about this next week in Psalm 51, he creates in us what? A clean heart. And he renews inside of us a love for people 
and Nathan goes to him in a posture of humility. He's humbled himself before the Lord to be led by the Lord. He's humbled himself before David, knowing David could do whatever he wanted to him, and yet he's humbled himself, and he's approached him with love. Here's the reason I know that Nathan approaches him in love, because he didn't walk up to him and beat him over the head with his sin. He gave him a parable and let David begin to think through what he was talking about. And he was giving the Holy Spirit room to work. And the Lord ends up convicting David. And so I want to ask you this question. Specifically in the realm of confronting somebody, especially over sin, why are humility and love so vital? But let's take out that portion of in confrontation. Why are humility and love so vital as we lead wherever God has placed us. And by the way, they are very vital. Jesus stepped out of all glory and he humbled himself to the point of coming into the world and being laid in a manger. Never owned his own home. Never climbed the corporate ladder. Never became high up in the temple, never had a pillow to lay his head on, was brutally murdered, and then didn't even have anything to purchase a tomb to put him in. He had to borrow one, and he humbled himself to the point of the cross, so we know it's important, and he did that out of love. So why are humility and love so vital? Let's take a few minutes around the table and talk about it. All right, guys, why are humility and love so vital? Why are they so important? What'd you come up with? Okay. You said qualities, effective communication. You've got to do it humbly and with love. Yep, okay, good. Yeah? Yeah? That's right. So he's saying sometimes it depends on who you're talking to. If it's a fellow brother or sister, according to Matthew chapter 18, it's to be done in a way that is to restore that brother and sister and the relationship. So, agreed. Give me one more. Okay. That's right. That's so good. It's, it's what is the purpose behind you going to them? Is it to restore? Is it because it's out of love? And so how you approach it can very much dictate oftentimes how they're going to respond. Not always, but sometimes it can. You know, in James chapter 5, it talks about praying over people that are sick. Our, our pastor talks about this every Sunday morning, and we have oil that we anoint people with and pray. And when I get an opportunity to pray over people, one of the things that I tell them is it tells us to confess our sins one to another. And before I pray over you, I need to have a clean heart. And so before I pray over somebody to be healed, I take a couple moments just with the Lord and make sure that my heart's in a place that's going to be pleasing and acceptable in his sight. And so how we approach somebody, and you know, I don't know about you, but I've been in situations where I've wanted somebody to repent and it's been very evident I wanted them to repent, and it really had nothing to do with the Lord. And so the way you approach it has a lot to do with it. Let's see how David responds. It says, David was infuriated with the man and said to Nathan. So he's not infuriated with Nathan. Notice he's not worried about the person that's communicating. He's not worried about the messenger. He is very concerned about this parable. It says, David was infuriated with the man and said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Now stop right there. The man took somebody's sheep, okay, and he deserves to die is what Nathan said. Now back then, theft meant a whole lot different than it does today, okay? But he says he deserves to die because he has done this thing and shown no pity. He must pay four lambs for that lamb. Nathan replied to David, whew. You are the man. You are the man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Now I want you to notice. 
Nathan does not come to David and said, let me give you my opinion on this matter. Nathan does not come to David and say, let me tell you what it looks like from my angle. Nathan did not come to David and say, let me tell you what everybody is talking about. Nathan came to David and said, this is what the Lord has said. He said, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I rescued you from Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah and if it if that was not enough I would have given you even more why then have you despised the Lord's command by doing what I consider evil you struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife as your own wife you murdered him with the Ammonite sword now therefore the sword will never leave your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own wife Now, let's just stop right there for just a moment. We know when we get to Psalm 51 that we'll look at next week that God did a major work in David's life. And we know that God restored David. We know that God forgave David because he repented, but there were still consequences. And there were still major consequences. And he says right there, the sword will never leave your house. Look at verse 11. It says, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on you from your own family. How would you like to hear those words? From your own family, you're going to see disaster. I will take your wives and give them to another before your very eyes, and he will sleep with them in broad daylight. You acted in secret, but I will do this before all Israel and in broad daylight. So it's, hey, listen, your sin was here, but I'm going to make it public. It's a consequence. David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Then Nathan replied to David, and the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. However, because you treated the Lord with such contempt in this matter, the son born to you will die. There are major consequences to sin. And we have got to come to a place in our lives where we stop and think about the consequences before we even begin the sin. For years, I prayed that God would convict me of sin in my life. I have quit praying that prayer about six years ago. And I've started praying that the Lord would convict me before I even sinned. Lord, when the thought enters my mind, I'm asking you to bring conviction on me. Now, here's the deal. The Lord doesn't need permission to do anything. But the Lord sure loves you to be on the same page with him. He loves it. And I desire... And I'm not saying I get it right, and I'm not saying I'm perfect, and I'm not saying I don't sin, but I desire that before my feet or my hands or my mouth do any type of sin, that he would bring conviction on me and that I would not go through with it. I want to hear that still, small voice. It says, then, Nathan replied to David, and the Lord has taken away your sin, but there are major consequences. I want you to see this in regards to Nathan's confrontation. He was humble. It was done in love, but Nathan was bold. You know, sometimes the Lord calls you to do something and you say, you know, Lord, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to modify it just a little bit in case you don't know exactly which direction you should go here. I'm going I'm to do that thing, but I'm going to modify it just a little bit. Nathan could have gone to David and said, listen, what you did was wrong, and you need to repent of it. And David could have said, I repent of it. And Nathan could have said, praise the Lord, and he could have just left. But he gave him exactly what the Lord had given him to say. And he wanted David to understand, yes, the Lord forgives you, but there are consequences, and they are major. He needed to make sure David understood that. I'm praying that God would raise up men here at Bellevue Men here in this room, that we would be humble and we would act in love, but we would be bold enough to stand against the culture. That we would be bold enough to stand up and call sin, sin. And that we would quit laughing at what Hollywood is portraying as manhood. And that we would quit partaking in the entertainment industry in what they're saying men should be like and what they call entertainment. Because if I can be honest with you, the majority of it is garbage. Almost all of it is garbage. Almost all of it. Now, I'm going to tell you this right now. This is totally side note, but you need to protect your families from that garbage. You need to screen every single thing that comes into your home. 
Your children and your wife don't need to watch anything until you've placed your eyes on something that tells you what is going to be in that movie. There are multiple websites you can go to that will give you a parental guide. You say, I don't need a parental guide. I'm, a, I'm an adult. Yes, you do. Because garbage in, garbage out. And when we are fed a lie for 20, 30, 40, 50, 70 years that this is acceptable and that this is funny and that everybody does it, we begin believing that lie. And I'm just here to tell you that God hates that stuff. And so I've got a website I go to, and I read the parental guide. And guys, I want to be honest with you. If there is a sex scene in it, it may say that there's no nudity. If it says anything about a sex scene, we do not watch it in our home. My wife and I do not watch it. If I get in there and it starts talking about all this profanity and all this stuff, we do not watch it. And I cannot tell you how many lunches I've been to, how many dinners I've been to, how many socials I've been to, how many men I've stood around, and I've heard some of the things that they say they're watching, and I'm appalled. Because what God has called evil, we are now calling entertainment. And we've got to get away from that junk. And I'm praying that God would raise up some men that would stand up and call it sin like Nathan did on this day, that they would be bold. Now, I want you to see the last verse we're going to look at tonight. I love this verse. And I think for me, this was a verse that was so key in the first 15 verses, but it's verse 15. Look what it says. Then Nathan went home. I love that. I love it. It does not say that Nathan sat around worrying about it. It doesn't say that Nathan got in David's face and said, listen, Bubba, you got to figure this out. You, you need to stop. What Nathan had done, he had done exactly what God told him, and he left and went home and left the results to the Lord. I talked to a guy one time. I said, let me ask you a question. He said, What's, what is it? It's a, it's a friend of mine. We were having lunch together. I said, who's the last person you shared the gospel with? And he said, oh, uh, man, probably, and he, he names this guy. And I said, well, when was that? And he was like, whew, man, probably, I don't know, six, seven years ago. I said, okay, well, walk me through the last six or seven years. Have you not come in contact with anybody? Like, did you get shipwrecked somewhere? I mean, what, what happened? And he said, well, you know, I was sharing the gospel so consistently, and no one was getting saved, so I just figured I'm not going to do it anymore. I must be doing something wrong. And I said, listen, you're missing the great commission. It was not a recommendation that you and I share the gospel. It was not a suggestion that we share the gospel. It was not instructions for pastors and deacons to share the gospel. If you love Jesus, you are to be sharing the gospel, and you are not responsible for anybody getting saved because you and I can't save anybody because we couldn't even save ourselves. Our job is to be obedient to the Lord and leave the results to the Lord. So if you share the gospel a hundred times and nobody gets saved, you were obedient to the Lord. And by the way, the Bible says that his word will not return void. The Bible talks about planting seeds. You don't know. That person may not got saved today, but may get saved in a couple weeks because someone else shares again. And they're remembering back to what God had started doing in their hearts when you were talking to them. And what happens is when we say, I'm not going to do that, we begin to take matters into our own hands. And so Nathan just doesn't worry about it. He's not worried about what David does. He didn't say anything to David about, now don't you let this happen again. I don't want to have to get on my camel and come back here and tell you this again. He didn't say anything like that. It says when he got done, he told David, he gave him the plain truth, and I love it. It says that Nathan went home. Men, when you are led by the Lord and you are obedient to what he calls you to do, you can boldly stand up with humility and love and then you go home and you don't worry about anything. You leave the results to the Lord and that's exactly what Nathan did. Nathan left the results to the Lord. You know, when I think about this story, it reminds me very much of two verses that you probably have inscribed somewhere in your home. You may have them on a picture. You may have them written down in a booklet. I know you've probably got these memorized, but these verses when I was growing up were on a little 
boat that was on a little stand in our home. It was a little brass sailboat, and on the sail were these verses written. And so I memorized them as a very young boy because my parents placed them in a prominent place in my home. But here's what it says, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understandings. What does it say? In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Now listen, there's a promise in there. And I think oftentimes we skip right over the promises of God. But what does it say at the end? There's that word will. Look at it. And he will direct your paths. Not maybe, might, can, probably, hopefully. It says, if you do this, God will do this. That's going to be one of the first sermon series I ever preach. If I ever go pastor anywhere, I'm going to preach a sermon series on if this, then that. And I'm going to find any passage in God's word, I've been collecting these for years, any passage that says, if you do this, God will do this. I love it. There's a promise from God right here. Men, it says, trust, not, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understandings. That word lean in the Hebrew has got a picture with it that is like a crutch. If you walk with a crutch, you're leaning your weight because you don't fully trust in your legs. Maybe it's because you have a sprained ankle. Maybe you've messed your knee up. Y'all know I've been on them. I've got, I got crutches for days. Anybody that gets hurt at Bellevue Baptist Church sends me a message and says, I need your crutches, and I've got to go through my notes and find whose house they're at because I got crutches all over the place. And I've got some I've got some Mercedes, the Mercedes of crutches, okay? I mean, I've got some really nice ones. These are spring-loaded. They rock at the top. They twist at the hand. I mean, these are really nice crutches, okay? I've been hurt more times than I know what to do with, okay? So I, I've got that all figured out. And I had to learn to walk on crutches at a very young age, but it was because I had hurt my ankle and I didn't trust it. And so I would lean on that crutch and I would put my weight into it. And the more that I began to trust that crutch the more that I would just lean on it and put all my weight into that crutch, the more you learn how to use it. And what happens is, is that when we start leaning into our own education, when we start leaning into our own experiences, when we start leaning into our own past, it's a place of comfort. And it's a place we can go back to because it's a place that's very normal for us. But this is what he says, trust, trust, trust. That word in the Hebrew is a picture of laying down in a bed. When you lay down in a bed, I told my kids this a while back, you don't get in the bed and leave one foot on the ground just in case that bed collapses, do you? You wouldn't be able to rest. It wouldn't be rest because your body would still be holding part of you up. And also, you don't walk into your bedroom each night and get underneath the bed and check the legs of it out. You trust it because you've been in it before. You trust that bed to lay 100% of your body weight, not 98, not 95, not 99.9. .9. You put 100% of your body weight in it. Why? Because you trust it because you've slept in it before. You were in it last night and the night before. And you know that it has been faithful to you to hold you up all these nights all along the way. And what this proverb says is that we are to trust in the Lord. We are to completely lay in his arms, 100% of our body, we don't lean on anything whatsoever. We completely put all of our faith, all of our trust, all of it in Christ. Why? Because he's been faithful. And we've been there before, last night and the day before and the day before. And you know how I know that it's true in your life? Because you're still breathing. God has been faithful to you. You say, you don't know my past. You don't know how I grew up. You don't know what I've gone through. No, I don't, but he has been faithful to you. You're still here. You're in this room. You have the freedom to open up your Bible and read. You have the freedom to go down to Wendy's and get you a cheeseburger. Now, your wife may not like it. Your doctor may say something, but you've got the freedom to do it. You're a, a man, and God has given you the ability to do what you want. He's been faithful to you. And so he says, trust in the Lord. We can trust in him because he's been faithful. And we don't trust him with part of our heart, most of our heart, and not all of our heart some of the time. We trust in the Lord with all our heart. And we don't lean on our own understandings. In all our ways, we acknowledge him and listen to the promise, guys. This is the beauty of it. He will direct our paths. I'm thankful that Nathan 
was not concerned about David's reactions. Nathan was concerned about following God's will. Nathan boldly stood up. He did it in humility. He did it with love, but he did it in such a way that God used him. And when he got done, it says Nathan went home. You know what he did? He went and climbed up in his bed, and he slept like a baby. You know who didn't sleep like a baby that night? David. And you want to know why? Because a man of God had been faithful to stand up and to call sin, sin, and the Holy Spirit showed up and convicted him, and he repented of that. And that's where we find ourselves next week in Psalm 51, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. We could spend months in that chapter listening and just even looking at the imagery and the beauty of the text. But we see a man that is totally and completely broken. David even says in there, he says, you didn't want a sacrifice, you wanted a broken spirit. And I'm thankful that God raised Nathan up to do just that. So I want us to answer this question before we end tonight, and then I'll come back and close us. How can we as men live out this in our culture today? How can we live this out in today's culture? Because, you know, if you stand up and say something, they'll just cancel you. If you stand up and act that way, they'll just fire you. If you stand up and say that, you'll lose your friends. So how can we do this today? in the culture that we're faced with that's right in front of us? How can you and I stand up and be the men of God God wants us to be when everybody around us is saying you can't? I want you to talk about it around the table for a few minutes. Then we'll come back and close our time together. All right, guys. Let me tell you what I don't want you to gain from tonight. I don't want you to leave here and go home and confront your wife on some stuff. Okay, just go ahead and take that out. All right, we're not doing that. All right, I don't want you to get in the truck and drive home and call somebody and start chewing them out because of sin in their lives. I don't want you to wake up tomorrow and go to work and sit in a cubicle beside a guy and get up and tell him all the problems he's got in his own life. I want for two things to happen. Number one, I want us to quit settling for sin being the norm. And I want us as men to start calling sin, sin. And where we begin with that is in our own lives. So before you go start telling anybody else what's going on in their life, you better get along with the Lord. And I know last week we spent some time at the end just assessing our hearts and asking the Lord if there's any sin in our own personal lives that need to be dealt with. But I would imagine in a room this size that there's some of us that are are wrestling with something right now. There's something we're struggling with. Somebody in this room is struggling with pornography. Somebody in this room is struggling with anger. Somebody in this room is struggling with bitterness. Somebody in this room is discouraged and depressed. Somebody in this room is struggling with coveting everything else that everybody has. Somebody in this room is on the brink of potentially walking away from a marriage. Somebody in this room doesn't know if they can go on. And I want you to know this. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. The Israelites woke up each morning when they were in the wilderness and God was faithful to place manna on the ground. Enough for the day. They would eat till they were full. They would go to bed that night and they would wake up and they would get morning in the next day. And his mercies are enough for today. And here's what I want you to do. I want you just to take just a moment and I want you to just say to the Lord, As I prayed this this morning, Lord, I want you to raise me up as a man that calls sin out. But Lord, before I go to do anything else, I want to make sure that I'm clean. And so just like Nathan confronted David tonight, I want to look you in the eyes. And I want to say you are the man. You are the man that's struggling with sin. You are the man 
that has something that you need to personally deal with. And I want you to take just a moment there at your table by yourself, bow your heads and close your eyes. This morning, I just put my hands out before the Lord. And I felt like the Lord called two things out. I just said, Lord, I give these to you. And I repent of these things. I confess them before you. And I want you to take just a moment and do that right now. I know it's quiet. I know we don't like quiet. But I just want you to be quiet with the Lord for just a moment. Now I want you to do something that uh, may not be comfortable for everybody in the room, but I want you just to get with one or two guys right there beside you. And I want you just to just pray over them, whatever the Lord lays on your heart. Maybe it's that the Lord blesses them. Maybe it's the Lord provides for them. But I just want you to pray a prayer of encouragement just for, listen, 15, 20, 30 seconds. That's all you got to do. Just 15, 20, 30 seconds. Just pray a blessing of encouragement to the person to your right or left, and then just go around the circle and pray over a couple guys right there. And then after about two or three minutes, I'm going to close this in prayer. Father God, we come in closing this evening just saying thank you. Thank you that we all can learn from Nathan and learn that we must um, come to you humbly as we know how. But God, I thank you for all that you have done in this evening, that every hand that we have touched, that the lives may be changed. Every man in this room will find a directive that you've given us. Every man in this room, we begin to trust you with all of our hearts. Even when we're leaning and we may feel weak, we can help the other stand as we stand trusting in you. God, we thank you for Derek and this word. We thank you for those that have sat around this table tonight, that you have divinely connected us so that your will can be done. Jesus says that if we trust in him, that if we follow his, his, his will and his way, that we will be okay. Lord, I speak over these men right now, that Lord, if, as you galvanize us, give us the tools from the spiritual realm of heaven so that we may walk like you, talk like you, live like you, love like you, forgive like you. And Jesus, we know you did it because when you went to the cross, you set, up, you set a pace that we can walk just as you walked. And Holy Spirit, give us what we need tonight. We ask you, Lord, that everyone here will have the power to walk in humility, to walk in love, and to when we go to one another, that we will go putting ourselves in the other person's shoes, putting ourselves in their place, having empathy for one another. We thank you. We give you the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.